Welcome to Is This Working? The tools we use to work have changed drastically, but how we work hasn't. In this podcast, we explore how we can make work work better for us. We're your hosts, me, Anna Cotorado, and me, Tiffany Philippi. Each week, we challenge conventional views about work by taking on topics like mental health, productivity, office culture, and even what the modern way of working means for our relationships. From bad coffee to identity crises, we got you covered. This isn't about the future of work. This is about what's happening in work right now. This week, we're talking money, why we're so awkward about it, and how can we be better with it? What would you do if you woke up one morning and there was a six-figure sum in your bank account? Because that's what happened to Tiffany. In April 2016, I was broke. I was in mountains of debt. I'd moved back in with my parents because of that. And I was working in yet another low-paid startup job. And then I woke up one morning and read an email that told me the startup where I'd been the first employee at had sold. And what that email told me was money wasn't going to be a problem for me ever again. So the first thing I did was calculate how many years I could not work for. It was a decent amount of time. And the second thing I did was go out and buy a travel guide to Bali. I still haven't been. I mean, I think for many people that sounds like a dream scenario, kind of like, I guess, winning the lottery. Um, I mean, it was obviously it's not quite like that because um, you'd done a lot of work to get to that place. But when you first read that email, what what did you what did it feel like when you actually read read the email it was complete shock so as I said I was in survival mode when it came to money for most of my 20s and I'd moved back from New York because I just couldn't afford to live there anymore I'd taken a pay cut when I switched jobs there and I was naive about how hard that would be and so I I had no longer it was about survival and no longer did I have to have a job that would pay me a certain amount suddenly I could just do whatever I wanted and I actually found it pretty stressful because the world was my oyster and it was actually quite scary. I think a lot of people think that money is an end game and sort of being really really rich and having lots of money is something that's going to alleviate a lot of problems which I think in, a, in in many respects it does but tell us or tell me more about how it actually caused you quite a bit of stress. I think that I suddenly felt like because I could do anything I wanted it, I became frozen with indecision mm. and a lot of people have opinions particularly in our culture around property ownership and what you should do with the money And part of me just wanted to get rid of it. So one quick way of doing that, which also solves another problem which I was having, which is I was having a bit of a challenge, challenging time in my life. And I was looking into going to do an MBA in America, which is the fastest way to spend lots of money. (laughs) And also 
in theory gives you a packaged life now as we know obviously in two years time I still might not know what I want to do afterwards but the MBA promises you that you might be able to um so I went quite far down that path and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise that I didn't do anything with the money whether that's by a flat because I actually ended up getting fired from a job and after that I took a lot of time out and then after that I ended up I decided to go freelance and having the cushion and the freedom to only take on work I want to and be able to invest in myself and my business and all that side of things is a complete game changer Mm. and money I written a blog about this but I actually love money I love I love (laughs) (laughs) I love I love I love the freedom it gives you so whether it's to buy books see a dermatologist for my acne problems see a therapist spend money on exercise I have a PT I love all that but I also love earning money so when I started freelancing I earned quite a lot of money and I really enjoyed and I'm saying um I really enjoyed seeing that amount of money and income that I'd earned Mm. and how that feels well so something that's very interesting and something I definitely want to clarify is this money that appeared in your bank account is not money that you inherited or anything like that that is money that you essentially or maybe you can explain like what that why you got that money yes it's an important distinction because in a weird way I almost didn't feel like I'd earned it Mm. even though technically I had Because how it works with startups is you take a low paid job and you, or you take a low salary and you get given shares in return. And the reason I was in a lot of my debt, so I was in debt for two reasons. How much debt were you in? About 8,000 pounds and not including the student loan. I don't really count the student loan because you pay that back based on your salary. Like Mm. that's not stressful. I know people talk a lot about student debt, real stressful debt that impacts your mental health is credit card debt. It's the debt that you have to pay monthly even when you lose your job, which Mm. is something I'm pretty skilled at doing. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, so how it works is you you, you take a low salary, you get given share options, and then when you leave the company, you have to buy those shares at a really low price and you hope for the best that those will turn out to be a lot of money. Um, The reality for me was I couldn't, I didn't even realize or know to save the money for the share options when I left. And I think- You're given quite a small window when you leave to buy them, aren't you? Yeah, you're given three months and I had to hustle. Like I was in New York, I hadn't, I had taken a pay cut at a job. I had no money. There was no one who could give it to me. And I was desperate. Like I asked this guy that I was dating for a bit. It was really, I lost dignity. He said no. And, (laughs) And I had to apply for- um I had to apply for credit cards but that was expensive debt I mean actually it was, I, I'm a huge fan of I'm obsessed with Martin Lewis money expert I yeah, read guru, every single email guru. and so I did read about how best to do it but as you can imagine it was really stressful and I was just paying off this huge bill every month without uh knowing what would come from it and it, it really is gambling because I actually recently had a startup scenario where they said to me we'd we'd like you to come on full time and I got swept up in it because I'm I was vulnerable at the time and I liked going into an office and speaking to people and I they said to me oh okay low salary but high shares 
And I thought about it and I was like, I actually don't want to do this again. Mm. I've done it once and it, yes, it worked out, but it took seven years and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to earn a decent amount of money today. And that's what I care about. So, and then the founder kept on saying, oh, it's the life stage you're at and blah, blah, blah. But I just think it's it's gambling really, isn't it? Mm. Well, it's also very difficult because when you earn in a sort of through a traditional salary, you have that you have that figure that's going into your bank account and you know you might be saving for, you know you might be part of a pension scheme or whatever but this adds another dimension to your worth and how much money you're going to get out of the work you do and it's really interesting to hear you say that you didn't feel like you in a way you didn't feel like you earned that money when you because you really did and I think this just kind of speaks to how complicated it is measuring our work against how much we earn I guess that's not really a question but no I think it's right I think it's it's funny how for me now that I don't technically have to work I mean I do for the rest of my life I don't have a pension which is a separate issue I do have to work in the next few years but say I didn't want to work for a bit that wouldn't be an issue but at the same time I'm still very motivated by money because as you just said money's not necessarily just about what you can buy things with it's a lot to do with how we see our self-worth and our value and our contribution to society and I'm sure we're going to talk about what's good and bad about that Mm. um, later but I think it's really interesting once the survival or the hygiene level is removed Mm. suddenly your relationship with money becomes a lot more interesting and how did you feel about debt before before you came into before you're in a position where you weren't in debt anymore debt's very normalized in our society from a young age so me and everyone I knew when we went to university applied for a NatWest card (laughs) yeah I still have my NatWest account (laughs) (laughs) exactly because it gave you the highest overdraft Mm. and it was completely normal to do that and so you start university living outside your means essentially so I maxed it out and then once you max out an overdraft you're just locked into it and so being so the fact so my shares that I had to buy aside the fact I was in two grand three grand amount of debt in my early 20s while I was just having a great time didn't feel unusual at all um it only really felt stressful once I added in the extra 5k so I think it's that, um, I think it's a very normalized thing, but what needs, but at the same time, there's a lot of shame around it because I know people, so I was quite, as I said, I was quite geeky about Martin Lewis and I'd move my debt around. So it was often at 0% and I was quite savvy about it, but a lot of people I know still are in their overdrafts when actually you can save a lot of money doing the 0% transfer stuff. So even though it's very normalized and everyone does it, there's a lot of shame about it post those university days. It's everyone's doing it and there's, it's the unspoken thing and, um, and, and yet no one's actually really talking about how to either get out of it or why we're even in this position in the first place. Because I thought, I found it bonkers that we got to university and we were given all of this monopoly money (laughs) and we'd never been taught about money at school you know we went to school together and we went to a bougie school and never were we taught never was it explained to us how to do personal finance basically 
exactly i think that's the crux of the issue is no one ever teaches you about money and then they just give you a lot of debt when you're out in the real world um i think this is probably a good place for us to talk about our next big topic which is how um how the conversation around money has changed recently and how more and more people are talking about it um and we really want to get to the heart of why are we so awkward about money so awkward Anna what do you think I think it's really interesting how in it almost feels like in the last few months there has been so much conversation around not just around money but around the need to be talking more about money so there's been lots of books come out about um, the emotional side of money so Alex Holder's written a book called Open Up the Power of Talking About Money um laura waitley who is a uh personal finance journalist at the times um has a book a practical book about money called a user's guide to money um and i've seen uh lots of instagram accounts popping up like the go fund yourself one uh which is all about personal finance and it just feels like everyone is talking about talking about money um i think so much of this actually stems from a much larger and quite nebulous issue that is happening in culture and society at the moment, which is, I think we are questioning all of the big value systems that we've held. So, you know, is capitalism even working? Like that, that is a conversation that I think is happening at a very, very high esoteric level. And I think actually us talking a lot about the emotional side of money is almost the trickle down effect of Abs- that. Yeah. And I also think it's this rise in the modern workforce mm. and freelancing. And because Alex Holder started her career about talking about money when she switched from her advertising job where she was paid loads and then she became freelance and it's interesting because once you do become freelance you become more in touch with your money Mm. that you earn and you have to manage it differently so I think it's a lot to do with the wave of how people are working and how that does reframe your money relationship as well well I mean something that you were talking about earlier and when you were talking about your own money journey is that you know, you made a large sum of money in quite a non-conventional route. And you kind of touched on this, but I think your instinct at the beginning, which you ended up not doing, is to spend the money in a conventional way. So you mentioned how you started looking at um, either going back into education or buying a flat. Those are quite traditional, quote unquote, investments. And yet you decided not to do that. And I I think it's very interesting how as more of us pursue non-conventional work paths, how we think about money and what we do with our money, then also we start challenging those assumptions as well. 
Absolutely. It's that thing that they talk about in Affluenza by Oliver James, which I am obsessed with, which is about how the structure of capitalism is about keeping you poor, keeping you in your job. Mm. So what I could have done is bought a property with a mortgage. I didn't have enough money to buy something outright in London. And I'd be trapped with large mortgage payments and I'd have to get a job to pay that. Whereas for me, I valued freedom above that, which is also unconventional. So Mm. I wanted an unconventional work life. I didn't want to rely on a big salary and get trapped. And so that meant that option wasn't for me, but that's actually quite rare. A lot of people that I know, so a lot of people I know who are in a similar situation who made money from the sale made themselves poor again Mm. by buying a flat with a big mortgage. Mm. And as you say, as we're challenging work conventions, money seems like a complete no brainer to talk about as well. Of the things that you've read um, recently about money, what are what are the kind of main things that have really stuck out for you in terms of where the conversation is right now? I loved Alex Holder's approach about talking about the emotional side of money. And she, I've listened to her in a few podcasts and she talks a lot about shame and money. Mm. And she mentions our absolute favorite person in the world, Brené Brown, <laughs> and how shame is a tool of oppression and shame's power comes from people not talking about things essentially. And she's really honest in her book. She tells you how much she made on her book advance. And it's really interesting how she covers all these different aspects of money and our emotions, whether it's relationships, how to talk about money and relationships and how unusual it is the way you don't know what your friends are earning necessarily. And she said that freelance people are a lot better at this, which I agree with. Like we're, we're really happy to share our day rates, but why is salary more awkward? I actually think about this quite a lot because I wonder whether it has to do with the fact that your salary is such a big fixed sum and so many and the people who are working salaried jobs fixed salary jobs are almost I think part of the reason they I mean not this is not true for everyone who works in this way but you have to be telling yourself a story to make sense of why you're working in a certain way and I think often people who work for a company and have a fixed salary they tend to think more in terms of success in terms of they think more that success is tied to a monetary figure and and it's one so I think the key difference is if you have a salary an external person who's qualified has said you're worth x amount of money whereas when I'm freelancing I set my rate and I decide what my worth is so I feel much more casual because we overvalue external validation in the society if someone else has said you're worth X amount, that Mm. carries a lot more weight. Whereas in freelance, we set our own rates. We have the power. So it's less emotional for us. And you're also out there on the open market because, you know, I can say I I want 10,000 pounds for this article. (laughs) And, you know, I will be told, no, that's not how it's going to work. So you are out there on the open market and there are, yeah, there are market forces that are also to a large extent determining how much you're getting paid. That being said, there is also a huge emotional element to negotiating your freelance rates as well, because lots of people who, you know, negotiating is not a 
is not a skill you're born with it is a taught and learned skill has so much to do with confidence it has so much to do with um you know your upbringing and your network and whether or not someone has actually taught you how to do it um for plenty of other people they really really plenty of people really really struggle to negotiate and that is when it starts that is when the date your day rate starts to become a reflection of your worth and your ability because you don't feel able to ask for more money and you don't feel like you are being paid what you're worth so I think it can get quite complicated yeah absolutely and do you think that all this conversation that's happening about we need to talk about money what do you think is going to be the impact on that on how people work and their money and their lives and how that will change I think um it will I think the biggest impact will first be on a very micro level I think it will encourage people to have conversations either between their friends and their sort of immediate working network be that freelancers talking among themselves or employees talking amongst themselves and sharing salaries uh in many ways I almost think it's a lot more important to share your salary than I do your day rate um people are so reluctant to do that though aren't they I know which is where that competitive mindset comes in yeah which is the cause of so many problems definitely that scarcity mindset essentially yeah 100 yeah, percent um you know and also outside of the working world and both uh, laura waitley's book and alex holder's book talk about the importance of discussing money in your romantic relationships as well and i think people will start to have more of those conversations um and generally people will just start to talk about this stuff on a larger level I don't know what that you know what that what's going to happen there because so many of these so many of these problems are are much more to do with when you drill down to them drill when you drill them down these issues are a lot more to do with shame and like very complicated emotions rather than there being a specific mechanism of the state that's causing these issues that being said capitalism does not help (laughs) why do you find it awkward so when you go and do a meeting new business meeting do you ever discuss money in person I find it really really hard to do that I like to talk about money over email where I can I struggle to look someone in the eye and say this is my day rate um and but that is something that I actively know that I want to work on um I mean even there I loved it I love I like it when I get asked directly so some people say oh how does it work what's your day rate I said it's like this this is my day rate whereas it's really odd actually I had a new business meeting the other day and we never got on to talking about that so I don't know whether this is a viable option for them Mm. you know it's why is and I didn't want to bring it up because it is so awkward yeah I've been in those situations many times. It's a really, really tricky one to navigate. I, yeah, like I said, I like to try and take the conversation over email, not least because that's also partly a kind of uh, sort of hygiene reason that I want all of this written down uh, in a paper trail. But I do find it very hard to tell someone this is my fee, not least because I have now been freelancing for two years and there has never been an identical project and there's never been an identical client and the reality is I charge a different fee for different projects and for different clients and whether or not I want to work with that person you know there's a lot that goes into setting a day rate so um, it can be quite hard off the cuff to say yes this is what I this is what I'm charging yeah that makes sense 
It sounds like now's a great time for, to talk about how we can actually be better with money. So any practical help and tips that we can think of. Anna, <laughs> how do, have you ever negotiated a salary or pay rise successfully? Yes, to both. So, and before I get into that, something that I learned by accident very early on in my career has been a really, really valuable piece of information that has really, really stuck with me. So I was doing a internship it was probably unpaid um a while ago and I was having to write these listicles um about all sorts of things to do with work culture and one of the listicles I wrote was on how to get off on the right foot in a new job and as part of that and everything in this list was supposed to be science-backed and research-based and one of the points in there was about negotiating your salary and I found this study that said it doesn't matter when you negotiate a salary when you start a job it actually doesn't matter the outcome of the negotiation the fact that you asked is uh, what gives the employee that confidence boost and the feeling that they've asked for something and they've voiced what they want and that really really stuck with me because it's basically taught me to always ask for more and it doesn't matter if I get it or not the fact that I've asked was basically the the hardest thing so yeah I've always asked uh, when I've, whenever I've been offered a new job, I have always asked for more money. When I get offered a rate for a piece of freelance work, I try always try to up it. Uh, what I have struggled with is how to renegotiate my rate. So I'm now coming into my second year of, no, I'll be coming into my, well, I'm about to mark my two year freelancing anniversary. And there are a couple of clients that I've worked with for that whole time and I'm thinking about how do I renegotiate those rates and that's something that I haven't quite figured out yet but in terms of asking for more money I feel quite comfortable doing that but like I said earlier only over email. (laughs) I've always negotiated a salary before joining somewhere because the power is in your yeah court or ball is in your court um and always been successful and it's always been over email but once I'm in somewhere I've always been told no And that feeling is the worst feeling ever because they're saying, I don't value you. I don't think you're as good as you think you are or I don't want to invest in you because as we've discussed earlier, money is about everything but money. You know what's really interesting? My first job out of university was in a a university. So I went and edited an alumni magazine and universities are kind of a funny place because they are so they sit somewhere between the public and the private sector but in terms of how they operate they operate more like public sector bodies so there are pay bans and there's a lot of pay transparency um, and you also get little pay rises based on your performance and I remember after I think a year or so I got a little pay rise because I had I was a you know, quote unquote, good employee. And I actually really responded very well to that structure because it felt like I, I knew what everyone else was making. I mean, not, not, not to the kind of, you know, pound, but you know, the broad range that everyone's making, you know, that you're getting pay rises, but, and I didn't have to ask for that pay rise. They said, you know, they, they just, it was an automatic process. They were, you know, they review you, your manager writes up a review and you're given money if you've done a good job. 
that feels like a no-brainer system to me. Um, I mean, there are plenty of other problems working in the public sector and whatever, but it's it, it really worked for me. I think it is transparency mm. and also it sounds like you knew what you had to do yeah. and your performance was related to that. So it's all about clarity and transparency, which yeah. is very not there when you work in early stage startups, which has been my experience. And because of that, it's been quite um, dog eat dog. And so the people who are the most confident or the most certain way end up earning a lot more than the other people. And I genuinely believe the reason sales teams in a company get paid more than creative teams aren't because there's any difference with regards to their value that they bring to the company or anything like that. Or the reason the marketing teams are always quite lowly paid paid in comparison to EG sales is because the sales types of personalities, they value money, they want it, and that's their main priority. Mm. Whereas creative people more are motivated by working for a company where they have freedom or whatever it might be, or they just don't have the personality type that has the confidence to ask for it. And I think that's really unfair because obviously women in particular suffer from confidence about having to ask about money and and all that so I think that's really sad when that happens definitely and to go back to where we started you well both of us have negotiated salaries and day rates can you explain how you actually negotiated a salary so what do you actually write in that email the key when you're negotiating anything in life is to not be a dick (laughs) (laughs) and because this is your first interaction with someone you're going to work with right so you need to present yourself in a really favorable way and you also need to bring them on side and they need to be your team. So what I mean by that is you're talking to your manager who or who will be your manager or who you'll be your collaborator, but they need to justify that expense to the person above them. And your job in any job is to make your manager or if you're a freelance, if you're a client, it's to make them look good. That's all your job is. So when you're negotiating, that needs to be part of it. And I think that I always say, um, I always give a reason for mm. why I might want more. And in general, it's better to relate it in non-emotional or non-personal terms. So, oh, the market's this, or I bring this value, or I'm unique for this reason. Um, But sometimes a bit of life is relevant because I think to ignore work and life would be, you know, silly. And I think no one wants employees who are stressed about money that's not productive and I think particularly living expenses in London and all this sort of thing so I think it's all about bringing the person on side that you're talking to and explaining it reasonably and not getting really bullshy about it and being very much like thank you so much for this offer I'm so excited for the opportunity is there any way we could move it up a bit to x because for this reason and as much as you can make the reason mean that you'll be better at your job um oh so I can afford green smoothies because they help with my concentration (laughs) (laughs) not quite that but you know I think that really is the key and to just and if they say no to be gracious if they come back halfway just meet them halfway um don't go back and you know then it just becomes nonsensical so that's how I would do it do you have a baseline figure in mind when you're negotiating or is it just that you just want to ask and see what you get and you would have taken the job either way for new jobs Mm. I think so Alex Holder talked about this which I loved she said if you're talking about a job and you're saying the money's good 
you're in the wrong job. Mm. And I know that's really idealistic and startups take it way too far by asking people to take pay cuts to prove that they want to work there, which is something I have written about. Um, But I think you need to want to do the job and whether you have a hundred pounds or whatever it might be per month extra here or there, that shouldn't be too relevant. Mm. So I don't think I, I've been in a situation where I have almost gone for things because of the money and that never works out well ever. But as you said earlier, I think negotiating is a lot about confidence. It's about starting that relationship on the right foot and feeling like you've got your worth because there's nothing worse than entering somewhere joining a new company and finding out that you could have got more money Mm. suddenly you feel really rubbish and again that's demotivating definitely um and how how can we have better conversations about money a with other people we work with but then also outside of our professional lives it's so funny because with the people you work with i remember we were all collectively oh we're early stage startups we don't earn much money we were quite open about being poor it was a bit like being a student Mm. um at the same time you'd go to the pub and you'd be expected to buy around for everybody you could not do that so a bit at the same time when i've been older in jobs it's extremely inappropriate to complain about not having money yeah um i always found that quite awkward and in general when people started to bitch about how much they earn that normally happened at the same time as the company became a rubbish place to work for and money was it was never about money but what I'm yeah in general people just talk about money when they're complaining about it in the workplace Mm. and actually I think people would benefit from more transparency around what everyone earns I don't know what do you think about the workplace side of things it's hard isn't it it's really hard i i really like there are a couple of initiatives where you can anonymously put your salary into either a spreadsheet or you know there's obviously glass door next to your name um next to your job title so i think there is a there's something called the salary project um there are there are a couple of resources where you you can essentially benchmark what you're earning in a more anonymized way, but in a way that obviously provides quite a lot of data for you to get a sense of whether you're being, um, how well you're being paid. I think it can be really, really productive for people who work in companies to share their salaries, but it's a very, very difficult thing to do. I would say, you know, you start with someone that you trust and you sort of just try to have that conversation. And also start, I think starting with friends, it's much easier with Mm. friends. So many friends work in the same industry and opening up and beginning to have those conversations. I think that's definitely where you can begin is just beginning to do it more and more. And hopefully all this conversation and all these books coming out will lead to these discussions with friends. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I guess what we're ultimately trying to do is challenge pre-existing assumptions that we have about money and values with all of this. And... I think really the best thing we can do is just think about why why do we as individuals feel awkward about money and just also try to pinpoint what our own individual money shames are and why we have them. That sounds like a great note to end it on. Thanks. Thank you. listening to is this working 
brought to you by your hosts, Anna Kojirado and Tiffany Philippou, and produced by Chris Bannister. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. It really helps us out. We also want to hear from you because this podcast is all about how we can improve your working lives. You can email us your existential work crises to isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and tweet us at isthis underscore working. Thank you.